We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Oregon fans, what is going on? Good morning to everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Ducks Dish podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. It is Monday, October 3rd. This has to be the earliest show I've ever done, but uh, we're getting you your Oregon football fix nice and early here on YouTube at YouTube at Oregon Football Max Taurus. As I butcher this interview, but we're going to keep rolling uh, uh, this intro rather because we're here for our upon further review with Spencer McLaughlin. He's the host of Locked on Ducks and Locked on Pac-12. How you doing, buddy? Been a while since I had you on my show. I know it's been far too long. Great that we could uh, make it work. And what is wrong with a little Oregon football early in the morning? Like, what what other way do you want to start your day after a blowout win? No, exactly. Uh, it's it's been interesting the uh, timing of the last two shows because I did my last show at about one fifteen in the morning uh, with Graham after the the win over Stanford. So uh, we're we're hopping right into it. So hopefully people wake up. You know, you go to work and uh, hop in the car and you can throw on some some ducks dish podcast. Uh, but yeah, dude. So we're here to do our upon further review kind of give our more in-depth thoughts on this win over Stanford for Oregon. Ducks win 45-27, to 27, and uh, I think a good place to start it off, I always like talking about it because they've been playing out of their minds lately, Oregon's offense shines once again against the Cardinal, uh, really firing on all cylinders, led, of course, by quarterback Bo Nix who had another four touchdown game. I think he scored at least four touchdowns in like the last three games. Um, I have to look at the the notes again, but um, 16 for 29 passing 161 yards and two touchdowns through the air. But the real story Spencer was what he did with his legs. Yeah. Running for, I think it was 140, including uh, 80 and 80 yard touchdown scamper in which he reminded everybody why he was a five-star prospect coming out of high school because we we've seen the arm we've seen the the accuracy which was not there for him consistently on saturdays i'm sure we'll get to but not his best day through the air but part of what made him a a tantalizing prospect is that he can move he can really move and when he took off on that long touchdown run i'm watching it going wait is that the fastest player on the field because you always knew that bo was able to run but then he wasn't just, you know, off in, in, in alone in that space. He was just running away from guys. They're trying to to get an angle on him, and nobody could. Nobody in the secondary. There's also a great block downfield by, by Troy Franklin. 
and I hate to do this, but it feels too appropriate. Must be nice for an Oregon quarterback to get a block downfield from a wide receiver playing Stanford at home at Autzen Stadium. It's re- it's really helpful. It turns out that that's you know essential. But anyway, I, I think Bo Nix did a lot of really good things in this game, and the the offense. You, you look at the, the final score was not as close as as forty five to twenty seven. It, it was certainly much more of a blowout than that, as it should have been. That's what I said going into it. Like I expect Oregon to win this game by a lot. And it was a slow start, but at the end of the day, they burst in the second quarter and scored 21 points seemingly in a hurry, just like they did against Washington State. Defense helping you out in, in that sense, and the defense played great really from the start and, and throughout the game. I thought they were really, really good. They were dominant up front against a, a shorthanded Stanford offensive line. But the, the offense just keeps making those explosion plays, and I think that's the biggest thing that was missing from the offense a year ago. I think every Oregon fan watching or listening feels the same way. And and that's the biggest thing I wanted Kenny Dillingham to bring into the picture with Bo Nix is where are the explosive plays, bring them back, you know, 40, 50 yards, like have one or two a game. And we've been seeing them consistently. Yeah. The explosive plays are certainly refreshing to see for this Oregon offense. We saw them a lot under the previous regime, but they were all coming on the ground. Virtually none of them came through the air. So Oregon's, Oregon's offense is is dual threat, if you will, and they have a bunch of guys that can make it happen. Uh, Bo Nix's use of the pump fake in this game was marvelous. Uh, pump faking Caillou Blue Kelly, I think it was, when there wasn't even anybody for him to pass to, to set up that little lane for for his uh, first touchdown run, I want to say. That was really entertaining. Yeah. Um, and and just all the other guys that uh, contributed in, in this game, just as far as the, the receiving output, no one put up crazy numbers. But everybody did their, you know, their their one uh, eleventh, right? Troy Franklin had that acrobatic touchdown catch, the the toe tap. Chase Coda had his first touchdown as a duck since transferring on a freaking beeline of a touchdown run, which was awesome. And then Chris Hudson had a, a, a some catch, some catches as well. Uh, so I just really liked the, how well rounded the the passing attack was in in this game. And uh, three hundred and fifty one yards on the ground. That is absolutely dominant from this Oregon rushing attack led by Bucky Irving and Noah Whittington. Yeah, I, I love what I'm seeing from the ground game. And I, I'm not sure if it went down in, in the box score or if it was negated because of the penalty that set up the Ducks touchdown before the half. But Sean Dollars had a big run too. Like the, the depth that you see and the versatility all these running backs are showing is just tremendous. And, and I saw Whittington demonstrate an agility that really really I think was a step or two up from from what he showed previously he ran the ball well dollars played well Bucky Irving's just a stud I I mean that that guy is really really good and I want to go back to that touchdown run from Bo Nix where he pump fakes the guy I'm not so certain that wasn't a broken play because Bo Nix and Jordan James thought it was play action but like you said there's nobody to run to, to throw the ball to and so Bonix has to go out there and just make a play, and he does. And he ends up getting Oregon a touchdown. They probably score later, but I loved the improvisation ability and, and the, the headiness of Bonix to not panic because James and Nix carried out a play-action fake, which we've seen from, from that look, that heavy formation that Oregon's busted out in the red zone this year, which I really like because it's been effective to this point. But I think the tight ends thought it was going to be a running play because there was nobody in the flat. There was nobody in the corner. There was nothing there. And Bonix just went out and, and made a play. And sometimes 
that's what you need. And that's one of those little things that, you know, maybe you can get away with a little more against a Stanford than, say, a Utah, a UCLA, or, or a Washington later in the season. But I feel like Bo Nix did such a great job and showed what he's capable of as just, just a playmaker. And we've seen him be a more dynamic passer than what Anthony Brown was a year ago, a more explosive, more consistent thrower of the football this season. But today he showed that if he doesn't have his best stuff, he's still able to get it done, right? To use a, a baseball analogy, sometimes a pitcher is going to go out and, and not have his best stuff. Curveball is not as sharp. Fastball location it is not as precise as normal. Maybe he's a mile per hour or two below what he's usually at. The great pitchers will turn that into six innings and two runs. The average pitchers get bounced before they get through the fifth inning. And, and I think that's what Bo Nix showed here is he didn't have his most accurate deep balls. The passing game wasn't required as much, but also the offensive line had some moments where Bonix was under a little bit of pressure and he was making the right plays, making the right reads time and time again. And I think that's why the offense was so successful. So this was a really good Bonix game, even though the box score from a passing yards perspective doesn't reflect that, but his decision-making allowed this offense to thrive. Yeah. And I think the more I think about it, Spencer, the, the pump fakes and whatnot that we saw, I feel like it was a good example of just kind of how his game has evolved a little bit more. You know, some of those improvising plays uh, off script that sometimes didn't end up going his way at Auburn are going his way at Oregon. So I feel like he's really finding the right time to, to use some of his playmaking skills and just kind of say, all right, let's see what we can do here. Um, I think an, another interesting point that I think I've talked about a little bit uh, writing uh, and I, I kind of want to wrap up the offense a little bit here because I know we don't have you for too long today, is um, is just the quarterback situation looking in the future a little bit because I feel like the Bo Nix experiment, if you want to call it that, or the Bo Nix era uh, at Oregon, um, it's off to a heck of a start You know, after that Georgia game. And people are asking the question now, what do we think about Bo Nix coming back in 2023? What does the quarterback room look like? You got Dante Moore coming in. Uh, Jay Butterfield hasn't really seen the field too much this year as uh, Ty Thompson served as the uh, primary backup. Uh, he got into the game again. So I feel like we it wasn't a huge sample size, but I feel like his samples look pretty similar each time he does enter the game. What do you think about Bo Nix and this quarterback situation next year? Well, I think only Bo knows what, what his future plans will be because is he going to be a high-round NFL draft pick? No. A mid-round NFL draft pick? No. Could I see a team taking a late round flyer on him seventh round to to compete for a backup quarterback slot? Yeah, absolutely. Look at some of the guys. You know who the Patriots had in at quarterback this week? Bailey Zappi, who threw for a million yards at Western Kentucky. But from a physical traits perspective, athletically and arm talent, you can't tell me Bailey Zappi has something that Bo Nix doesn't have. So I don't think Bo is looking at, at the NFL as an option. Well, I mean, he he might in in his own mind, but it's not something where he's going to you know be a plug and play starter or maybe even a plug and play backup. But could he make a roster? Could he compete for that? Yeah, and he will answer the question at the end of the season whether or not he wants to play a fifth year of college football because it's a long time. That's a long time to be in college, even though he's you know probably not going to to very tough classes. You still have to go to classes, and the grind of college football is different than that of the NFL because you can focus just on football. So maybe that's what he wants to pursue. 
And I'm sure in the offseason, he'll try to get some draft scout evaluations and get a feel for where he might end up. But through five games, it's really hard to look at, at Bo Nix and say, you wouldn't want him to come back if you're Oregon. I could I could see him coming back, but I really foresee a scenario where he ends up going to the NFL. And yeah, maybe he is a career backup there, but the NFL is willing to take guys who have physical gifts but weren't as refined or you know didn't look like big-time uh, NFL quarterback prospects in college and try and coach them up a little. And do I think Bo Nix could be a backup quarterback in the NFL? Sure. I mean, I look at a lot of quarterback backup quarterbacks across the league, and I say, yeah, Bo Nix could at least make a, a roster. And if you're Bo Nix, then maybe that's more appealing than coming back for another year of college. But on the Ty Thompson point, I don't think it's a coincidence that every time Ty goes into the game, the offense doesn't move the ball. And is he playing with some second stringers? Sure. But when you watch Oregon football over the years, there have been times where the backup quarterbacks have gone into the game and the offense has still been able to move the ball, right? Think back to the Brian Bennett days. Is that the best backup quarterback ever? Yeah, probably. I'm not like Brian Bennett wasn't an elite backup quarterback, but when he would get into the game and he was there with the second string offense, they still move the ball. And when Ty gets into the game, he still does not have a feel for how to execute the offense. He still doesn't have great touch on short throws. He still doesn't have great pocket presence. Is he getting a lot of snaps? No, but he's had enough in practice and frankly in games to where you'd hope he's a little further along in his development than what he has shown. But I can't sit here right now and say, yeah, if Bo leaves, it's it's Ty's job next year. If Bo leaves after this season, which I think is possible, and it is noteworthy, he's got another year of eligibility, but he lists himself as a senior on the Oregon football roster. He could list himself as a junior if he wanted to, but he lists himself as a senior. So that, that kind of seems to indicate he might leave, but he could change his mind. Um, I, I, I just don't know if... If ties, I know that ties not developed right now, but I wonder what it'll look like going into next year. Like, could I say right now, Ty Thompson will will be the starter? Bo leaves? No, I think it'd be an open competition, and I I don't know if Ty would emerge as as the leading candidate should that come to pass. Yeah, so it's it's a it's an evolving question, and and uh, I think that's that's kind of the point that I'm getting. I'm not trying to to ridicule Ty or you know just hammer him and criticize him, but I feel like when he does get into the game. It's pretty much the same thing each time. Um, I, I think that's one of the benefits, though, from this young season so far. Oregon's able to get enough of a lead to get some of these guys in, to get the Josh Connerleys in, to get the Kamari Terrells in. Um, some of those younger guys that weren't able to get that fret in the past, freshmen wouldn't have been able to get snaps. But that's a whole conversation. I just wanted to run it by you. I think it's a really interesting storyline to monitor as we kind of make our way throughout the rest of the season. Last thing I wanted to say about the offense before we get on to some defensive talk. This is uh, from the post-game notes. Oregon's offense scored 40-plus points for the fourth straight game, the first time Oregon has scored 40 or more in four or more consecutive games since the Ducks did so in five straight games from November 21st, 2015 to September 10th, 2016. So it's this this Oregon offense is, is in a kind of rare territory in terms of where they – the big marks that they've had in previous years. And a big part of that is because of Bo Nix, Kenny Dillingham, these running backs, these wideouts, these this amazing offensive line that happened to allow its first sack of the season. 
Uh, I got to give a shout out to Sala. He was just, you know, watching on the tape again. He was just he in was his moving, bag. Guys. He was in his bag. He was Spencer. Mo- yeah. Uh, yeah. There was he, this one block. There was this one block where I think it was Bo, one of Bo's longer runs. It wasn't his touchdown run, but Troy Franklin was blocking on the outside. And then here comes Big Sala pulling. He's like, "Oh, hey, let me help you out with that." And just, just like one arm just chucks the guy. Yeah. But uh, yeah, we got to we got to move on to our next topic. I want to make sure to keep us on on time here. One of the other interesting topics for this Oregon defense that we've been tracking throughout this season has been the pass rush. And you mentioned it earlier in the show, Spencer, that they were a little bit shorthanded. They actually had, I believe, one of their interior guys, I believe it was a guard that was carted off early, which is a, a tough break. You hate to see anybody getting hurt in general, but but that early is tough. But Stanford's usually a physical team. The pass rush hasn't been great this year, uh, but I think – with Oregon having to deal with DJ Johnson being out in the first half, we got to see, you know, a little bit of creativity from this defense, trying to get some other guys involved. And uh, I think a big, the two biggest guys that I want to talk about before we get to DJ is Brandon Dorless and Noah Sewell, because Brandon Dorless, even though he plays on the interior, he has done a tremendous job generating some knockback, some pressure from there. And uh, we also saw a whole bunch of Noah Sewell rushing the passer. And I, for one, could not be happier because that dude's a freak. And I feel like the previous staff didn't maybe blitz him as much as I think that they should have. And with DJ Johnson out, you had a need. And Noah Sewell stepped up to help fill that need, in my opinion. Yeah, and I like what he does there. And by the way, Christopher, it is Go Mariners. That is how it is uh, properly pronounced in the playoffs. In the playoffs. In the playoffs, baby. But... I I agree with you on on Noah Sewell being effective as a blitzer. I don't think last year they necessarily underutilized him in that sense. I think he was third on the team in sacks. So and it, and it's tough for linebackers to to rack up the, those sorts of numbers. But Oregon's pass rush outside of Kayvon Thibodeau last year also was uh, pretty pedestrian. But Brandon Dorless, I feel like has gotten better just in the last few weeks. He was good last year, and I thought he'd be good coming into the year. I thought he was Oregon's best returning defensive lineman. But outside of them, I had questions. Those questions are starting to get answered. This looked like a Stanford offensive line that was just outmatched. And I think it ties back a little bit to how the offense performed in this game as well. This just looked like a talent gap. This looked like a really big talent gap, particularly in the trenches. That Stanford offensive line is not what it used to be. They haven't been putting guys in the NFL. The defensive line has got a couple pretty good players, but overall, they weren't able to stop the run. Their linebackers are, are not the, the Shane Scoves and Chase Thomases of the world from uh, a day's past for the Cardinal. And I just looked at this game and thought, man, Oregon has got so much talent on both sides of the ball. And it just it, it was just a talent gap because Stanford could not block Brandon Dorless. And yet they had a lot of injuries on the offensive line. Oregon's had injuries at the, on the offensive line over the last couple of years, and I never once felt that their O-line w- was outmatched, and that's that's recruiting and talent development at that particular position, and I feel like Stanford has kind of let that slip. And, and Brandon Dorless in this game, I, I think that's the best he's ever looked, Max. Uh, it was not maybe their best offensive line because they weren't fully healthy, but I'm watching him do this now week in and week out. I watched him do it to Washington State's offensive line, not one of the best in the Pac-12. Okay, they lost a couple guys from a season ago. But then I watched BYU, and he's doing the same stuff. He's He has that that element to him of twitching. The it factor? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that, that is his it factor, maybe. I don't his know. it factor is his twitchiness. And that is what 
makes a guy to me when I watch a college football game on TV stand out. It can be at any position, but defensive line, I'm not saying he's Aaron Donald. He, he's not. But when you watch Aaron Donald, what he does, he's so fast and his hands are so fast and his feet move so quickly. He had a, he had a move. Lovely morning voice crack right there. He had a move that he put on the Stanford left tackle where he plants his foot like he's going to go inside and then jump cuts to the outside and he gets around him and the tackle barely even lays any hands on him. Like uh, it, it is just, he has such an array of pass rush moves or an, an array of moves to get by a, an interior offensive lineman in a running situation. And he's becoming so versatile, but his quickness I think is allowing Dan Lanning and Tosh Lupoy to line him up on the outside of that four, two, five. And then you sit, Sam Taimani or Jordan Riley or Casey Rogers or whoever on the interior. And then you can put Dorless there when you think it's going to be a run, but he is becoming a game wrecker. And I, I love what he is doing and he could have gone to the NFL, but I think he's elevating his draft stock tremendously. Cause you talk about putting highlight plays on film. He is making offensive linemen on a weekly basis. Look silly. Look like they oh, yeah. have absolutely no chance. And that is, something he showed flashes of a year ago, but now we're seeing the consistency. And, and I just think he's becoming the sort of guy that you can't just be mildly concerned about if you're an offensive coordinator, but that you have to almost game plan around and say, okay, we need to run away from number three, or we've got to chip and help out with, with Brandon Dorless here because he, he is just disposing of, the off, of these offensive linemen week in and week out. And he's making plays in the running game. He's making plays in the passing game, getting after the quarterback. And the pressure has ramped up considerably for the Ducks the last couple of weeks. It was my biggest concern defensively outside of the secondary coming in is how they'd be able to generate pressure. And I, I think that that was my number one concern because you help your secondary when you create pressure. And now that the quarterback's organs going up against are getting a little bit of that, that feeling of discomfort, Coming from the defensive line, it's helping the defense tremendously. I think we saw that on Saturday. You allow three points and a half. Yeah, I mean the, this this Oregon defense with the the pressure and and talking about Brandon Dorless. I just, I actually watched. I went and found one of those highlights while you were talking about him, and I was like pausing it on my other monitor, and it's like ah ah. And he and the thing that's he's crazy shifting. with with him is he's six three two ninety, and he's able to move the way he does, which I think is just going to give him even more draft appeal. Uh, for these NFL guys and the the other thing that I was going to say with with Dorless is you talked about the the consistency and kind of what he's been able to do for that like just some of these notes so the career high two sacks first multi-sack game and a career high three tackles for loss multiple tackles for loss in a game for the second time this season and the third time in his career and I don't want to make too much of one stat but I just feel like it shows that he's you know elevating his game and you know just catching the things at the right time. He's, he's filling that need. Like we talked about with Kayvon Thibodeau leaving six tackles for loss as a defense for Oregon against Stanford. So that shows that they're getting in the backfield, even if it's not just as if, even if it's not in the past game. So I, I, I was really impressed with that. And just cause we're talking about the uh, Oregon pass rush. I got to give a tip of the cap to Casey Rogers. I did that on the, yes. uh, the other live show, but like he was really showing up in this game. Uh, getting some some good pressure and knocking back the offensive line. And he's one of those guys, like you were just talking about in your last point, Spencer, I think, that allows this Oregon defense to push Brandon Dorless to the outside because they know what they're going to get from Casey Rogers on, on the interior. 
Um, so I think that just we're seeing some of these pieces, uh, like especially from the transfer portal, that are really helping this Oregon defense get to where they want to be and where they need to be. Where does this defense look without Casey Rogers? I think they have some guys that can step in a little bit just with the depth there. But Christian Gonzalez in, in the secondary, he he has been an absolute gem for Oregon. Uh, and that was actually our next topic that I was hoping to get to, unless you had anything you wanted to add quick on the pass rush. No, I, I love Casey Rogers. You know, when he transferred in with Jordan Riley, I thought, all right, they're following their coach. They, they had, you know, decent careers, their experience. Like, okay, I, I didn't think that much of it, but I've been pleased with both, particularly Rogers. He's not the biggest, he's not the flashiest guy. But he's just disruptive. He just goes out there and is, is making life as difficult as he can for the other team's offensive lines. And, and you can't discount the the need for defensive line to work in tandem or, or at least produce in tandem. Because if Casey Rogers is, is someone who has the attention of a guard and a center, well, maybe that opens up doorless for a one-on-one with a tackle if they don't chip with a tight end or a running back, right? So that, that sort of chess match playing around is why you want to have as much depth up there as you can. And I, I think Oregon is performing well in, in that area. And that was a legitimate question coming into the year. But if they keep getting after quarterbacks like they have the last couple of weeks, right? BYU, Jaron Hall was still a little too upright for, for our liking. And hopefully, you know, that that's something that's in the past. If you, if you put pressure on quarterbacks like the Ducks have been doing, you're going to help the secondary a lot. And Gonzo probably won't allow another touchdown this year if you keep putting pressure on quarterbacks because that that guy, someone in the comments said Gonzo is him, which I think is like the big thing to say right now. He is him. Okay, I guess I guess that's the the hot thing to say on social media. But and he also pointed out Bennett Williams had a great game. But I tell you what, Gonzo is. I I I hyped him up coming into the year. I said I, I think this guy is really good. I'd watched a little film on him. He was a good player at Colorado. I, I think that's the best corner Oregon's had probably probably since Thomas Graham. Maybe a, maybe a sophomore year, Mikhail Wright. But I, I think he's probably above where Mikhail was. And he, he's looking like an NFL caliber corner. And Gonzo, the other thing, too, he's so good in coverage. And he's such a fluid athlete. Everything looks so easy for him. Like Even the five-yard first down completion he allowed to Stanford on, on Saturday, which I think was basically the only time he got beat in a one B one and, and Stanford actually completed the pass. That's just a heck of a throw and catch. Like he's all over him. He's not committing PI and a guy makes a tough catch, tip your cap and say, all right, good play. That, that that's what the offense, that's what you want to have where they have to work that hard just to get five yards on him. And he's a great tackler too. Every time he comes up, he and Bennett Williams, both probably the most sure tacklers on the team. Oh, yeah, no doubt about it. Well, we're, we're going to take a quick break here on the Ducks Dish podcast, and then we're going to dive back into the secondary on the other side. So hopefully you left a little bit there, a little bit on the bone there, Spencer. But oh, uh, plenty. Don't, don't, don't go anywhere. we got more Oregon football versus Stanford analysis for you right after this. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. 
leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day. Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. All right, welcome back to the Ducks Dish podcast. We are live on YouTube on this beautiful Monday morning, October 3rd. I'm your host, Max Torres. That's my guy, Spencer McLaughlin. And we are here breaking down Oregon's win over Stanford before we definitively turn the page to the Arizona Wildcats, Oregon's week six matchup out there in Tucson. How are we already in week six? Where's the time going, Max? How did we get to week six? I thought the season just started. I feel I feel the same way, man. And it's weird with the high school season, too, because like those guys are posting their uh, midseason highlight reels and, and whatnot. But but we got to talk some Oregon secondary against Stanford. We already talked a couple of standouts. We got Christian Gonzalez at corner and Bennett Williams at safety. Definitely Oregon's two steadiest contributors in that secondary. Um, but with me, Spencer, I think my biggest thing heading into the Stanford matchup was uh, really trying to limit the big plays. And then also from, from last year, the jump balls, something that is a, a, you know, a stamp of that Stanford offense. But maybe we didn't see it as much this year because they're doing this mesh deal with, with Tanner McGee. Um, we can talk a little bit about that. But, uh, you know, it's kind of the, the same deal with, with the, the Christian Gonzalez's and the Bennett Williams stepping up. But I think you also got to give a nod to some of those other guys that that are rotating in because I think that uh, I think that they did a good job of of limiting those explosive plays and uh, you know not not letting the sloppy plays and the poor tackling um, that we've kind of seen in recent weeks, like against Washington State, um, you know, make too big of an appearance. So I think that's a, a good mark from from this game. I agree. I, I think the tackling was sufficient in space. Still a couple here and there, but you're not going to make every tackle, right? And this is a narrative that is accurate for, for Oregon football in 2022, that they've struggled tackling in space at times. I think it's important for fans to remember that it's fair to have that in mind, but you can't look at every missed tackle 
and say, oh my gosh, we can't ever tackle in space. Like no team makes every tackle in space. It's a hard thing to do. No team makes every single tackle. What you want to see is improvement from what they showed in the previous weeks. And I think we've seen that so far. And guys like Bennett Williams and Christian Gonzalez certainly helping that particular case. I think a couple of the linebackers can uh, still improve. I think bosses miss more tackles than, than he usually does at the linebacker position. I think even Noah Sewell has missed a couple plays that that he typically makes at, at that slot. But I, I love what I'm seeing from from the Oregon defense, not just in getting pressure, but the way that the way that they seem to be playing together. You know, and the the teams that are moving the ball on them ha- have done so with the quick perimeter passing game, but the downfield passing really hasn't had a lot of success outside of a, a Hail Mary against Washington State with the game already in hand. Like, that—that that is something that, that needs to be pointed out because they're not giving up big explosive plays. Teams are having to work hard, and that's what you want other teams to do. Other teams are going to score. They're going to move the ball. But what you want to do is make it difficult and not make it look easy. And I don't think since Georgia – a team has moved the ball easily on the Ducks, right? Washington State had that opening drive, but that's a scripted drive, and that's typically the the toughest area for for a defense to get a stop, and they have the trick play to begin the game and whatnot. Teams are are struggling to move the ball. Stanford certainly did. BYU did. They're specifically struggling inside of Austin Stadium, but I, I like a lot of the things that I'm seeing, and one thing that I was hopeful about coming into the year with Dan Lanning and Tosh Lupoi is, there's a lot of talent on that defense, but can the schematics improve? Because last year, how many times did Oregon fail to get off the field on third down? How many times did a Oregon? Lot. How many times did Oregon run soft coverage on third and eight and let the other team pick it up? And I'm just not seeing that a lot, because what I'm seeing is what I wanted to see a year ago and what I hope to see this season in terms of an adjustment, which is on third down and seven. Right. Maybe give a little safety help to Triquez Bridges and let Gonzo go press man one on one and say, you find me a receiver who can beat that guy in coverage, because so far the answer has been almost nobody. And Tanner McKee looked his way a couple times. And guess what? It was mostly an incompletion or it was a contested third and five catch. And that was it. And that's a really big advantage for a defense to have, because Gonzo is is basically taking away one receiver or one half of the field. And that is such a boon to any defensive coordinator because he can then say, all right, we're going to give a little help over here, right? You're going to have Bossa help on, on inside, uh, on the inside with the linebacker safety over the top. Still have a safety to Gonzo's side, but we're going to trust that he can make that play. They're going with that approach consistently. And I really, really like that. Yeah. And and it, I was talking to someone the other day, what would the secondary look like if Mikel Wright and DJ James were still here? That would be, Absolutely insane. I don't think DJ James. I, like. would be, I, don't, I don't think DJ James would be starting. You'd see. I think you'd see Mikhail starting opposite Gonzo. Gonzo. I think Gonzo is the best of all those guys that you just listed, and then I think it'd be uh, Mikhail Wright. And I, I thought Mikhail Wright would at least get drafted. I thought he should have gotten drafted. I, I had the opportunity to be on a, a Zoom call with Mel Kiper Jr. and I, I got to jump in and ask a, a couple questions about the Ducks. And I asked him about Thibodeau, but then I asked about McKinley and Wright, and he was very confident he didn't cast any doubt whatsoever that they would get drafted you know he said mckinley would probably come off the board first and then right but both should be kind of mid to late round picks and the fact that they were both undrafted free agents is something that really surprised me but 
I also thought Mikhail Wright took a step back in 2021 from what he showed his first two years. And he, I think, would have been a great piece. Physically, he's got a similar build to, to Gonzalez, and he's got great speed. I think he just needed a little bit more coaching, maybe needed a different scheme to to really realize his full potential. And, I mean, it, it's a what-if for, for this defense right now, but I, I still like the things I'm seeing from the secondary. I know that Bridges is going to get picked on more and more, but I think that's just more a function of Gonzalez being really, really good. Yeah, and and maybe that's a reality that the the Oregon defense is going to have to live with, whether it's Triquez or Dante. You know, those guys come in a little bit. Uh, Jaleel Florence has, has carved out a, a significant role uh, as a as a rotational piece as, as well. Um, to wrap up on the defense, uh, we talked about third down and how they were able to get off the field. Stanford just going, uh, let's see, what was it? Three for 14. No, That's sorry, awesome. sorry, sorry. No, no, no. Correction. Five for 16 on uh, on third down. So Oregon was able to get off the field in those instances, which yeah. is another step in the right direction. Last topic I want to get to, Spencer, before we get you out of here. Let's talk about what's next for Oregon after this Stanford win, because the way that the schedule is shaken out for the Ducks, I think has been tough, but at the same time, you're glad that you've gotten those games out of the way because you started things with Georgia. That was rough. You know, you see where you're trying to get to, uh, and then you get the game against BYU at home. That was a good team that they were able to, to defeat. And then you go on the road to the Palouse and you get Stanford, which is kind of a trap at 8 PM, no less adding to that trap element. Uh, and then now they get ready to head to Tucson to face Jed Fish in the, in the Wildcats, Jaden Delora, Tetairo McMillan, a couple of the notable names there. But if Oregon can pass this test against Arizona, another late kick, mind you, 6 o'clock, we, we know things get dangerous out there on the desert. I think this shapes up really well for Oregon because after that, you got the bye week at seemingly the perfect time now with the way that UCLA is playing after giving Washington their first loss. Now they're 5-0. and I, I feel like you're feeling pretty confident where this team's at. And, uh, I mean, obviously you want to get a win uh, over Arizona, but if you can get that win in the desert on the road, um, that's the biggest thing that I think we're still trying to see is, you know, how, what elements of this Oregon team travel because they were able to face some resiliency and get that win on the Palouse. Now you got to do it again and uh, just, you know, keep getting consistent, keep showing up and uh, respond to that adversity. So where are you kind of at? What's next for Oregon? Well, I think Arizona is a tougher test than than Stanford, not just because it's on the road and in the the D word, shall we say, desert, which uh, we, we we try not to say here around the uh, the Oregon football program because we all have uh, more nightmares than we would care to remember in that particular area of the conference. But this is a Stanford team that is not very good. They're they're in fact pretty bad. I think they're only about a step above Colorado. Who, who fired Carl Durrell at long last for Buff fans. I, I know they're excited about that in, in Boulder. They might have to endure an 0-12 season, but they I, I I hope they find one win. I really do. No one deserves to go 0-12. It's just, it's not fun. Like, could you imagine, Duck fans, if we had to come on here and go through an 0-12 season with all of you? We would do it. We, we'd do it no matter what, but like, it's just, no, no one deserves that. So hopefully they can find one win, but losing handily at Arizona this week where they were a big underdog. It's not exactly a, a great indicator there, but this is an Arizona team that is rebuilding. The rebuild is well underway. They've already surpassed their preseason win total of, of two and a half, which I talked about on lockdown pack 12 was probably the easiest over of 
of, of, of any team in the conference. I think Oregon State over five and a half is also a, a, a pretty good bet coming in. But th- there's still a year or two away from being a team that top to bottom can go toe to toe with the Ducks. And just for reference, the Cal Bears offense, it was in Berkeley. Sure. They put up 49 points on this Arizona defense. They, they just don't have the bodies. They're just not there yet. They've got a new defensive coordinator who, who came over from UCLA. It, it just, this is a game where Oregon is a double-digit favorite on the road. I'm not saying you should take it lightly. I think it has all the makings of a trap game for sure. But similar to Stanford, Oregon has a better roster top to bottom. They just have more athletes. They just have better players. And I, I, I think this is one where Oregon can really kind of show their moxie on the road and, and assert themselves if they come out and can avoid self-inflicted wounds. Cause I expect there to be a pretty good Arizona crowd because the optimism around the program is high as it should be because jet fish has them going here, right? Some programs, Stanford, Arizona state, Colorado going down Cal kind of middling Arizona looks like that. They're recruiting the way they're playing. They've got Jaden Delore at quarterback. He's got, I think three years of eligibility, including this one. And he'll probably be there for the next three seasons. And that was their biggest problem a year ago was the revolving door of quarterback play. And it wasn't good quarterback play either. So th- they have come a long way, but they still have a ways to go. And you should expect Oregon to play well in this game. But college sports are crazy. And it's not as if they don't have some talent. And I also think what Oregon struggled most with this year has been kind of the screen quick hitter game. Right, Max? And that's something that Arizona has the athletes to to run effectively i don't think stanford really did because they're focusing more on the big body receivers to win one-on-ones but they didn't have a lot of explosive athletes on the perimeter so that wasn't a feature of their offense and it hasn't been and just a quick note on that long mesh rpo stuff i i I don't like it it doesn't seem to work it hasn't it hasn't worked in any of the games they've played they ran the ball well against usc but it seems like everyone can run the ball on on usc i mean arizona state for goodness sake put up a decent fight in in Los Angeles. They still lost by, I think, 17. I think it was like 42-25. But that's more points than Arizona State should score. They went up to Washington. They couldn't move the ball. They turned it over too often. And I, I just think that long mesh allows for the defensive line to get pressure. And you're trying to create one-on-ones with your receivers. But that requires explosive talent out there. And I just don't think they have that. So, I'm not a fan of that, but what Arizona's doing with Jaden Delora and and T Mac and Jacob Cowing, those are legit weapons. Those are legit weapons in the Pac-12, and, and they've got good chemistry and they can move the ball. And I expect them to be able to put up uh, at least more points than Stanford did in the first half against Oregon, especially at home. But it's that Arizona defense that is still a big question mark. And, and should allow for the Oregon offense to succeed again. I expect them to be able to go down and put up another 40-point performance, Max. Yeah, I think it's it's well within the realm of possibility. Uh, my final thoughts here before we get you out of here, Spencer, uh, I agree with you. It's an opportunity for Oregon to make another statement, to get another statement win on the road uh, as they travel to Tucson. I have to correct myself. I said 6 o'clock. That's 6 o'clock Mountain Time. So that's 5 p.m. Uh, for us folks in Pacific Arizona's Standard Time. not in Mountain Time. I'm, I'm looking at their web website right now. Tucson is on Mountain Standard Time Zone and does not observe daylight savings. Oh, that's, that's, that's from their right. website. Um, that's so, right. So that's a little wonky. Uh, program your college football Saturday around that as you will. 
Um, but it's going to be a big test for Oregon defensively, but I think it's a test that they've kind of passed in different chunks uh, earlier this season with the mobile quarterbacks that they face, some of the bigger wide receivers. Certainly that skill talent against Georgia is going to help them be prepared for this game. But either way, big, big win for Oregon to, to take care of Stanford. Uh, I will say that I was only seven points off in my prediction until that garbage time touchdown. Uh, so <laughs> I was really getting ready to beat my chest for that one. But that's a big win for Oregon over Stanford as they turn the page to Arizona. Spencer, where can people find more of you and what you got going on in the college football space? At Smalls underscore 55 on Twitter, and I host Locked on Ducks. Some of you in the comments section clearly know that. I appreciate all of you uh, supporting the show out there, which is on YouTube or wherever you get your podcasts. I also talk about everybody else in the Conference of Champions on Locked on Pac-12, which is also on YouTube and podcasts at LO underscore Pac-12, the Twitter handle, or you can just follow me and I'm always putting out uh, my shows on on my personal account. But yeah, great to have you on, or great to be on with you as as always, Max. And uh, I appreciate everyone watching and listening out there. Go Ducks. You got it, man. You got it. Love having you on. If you want to find more of me and what I have going on covering the Oregon Ducks, you can follow me on Twitter, at mtouristsports. You can also do me a huge favor. Take a second out of your day, like the video, subscribe to the channel, turn on notifications, and share the Ducks-ish podcast. That is the biggest way you can support the show. And don't forget to stay tuned to DucksDigest.com for the latest and greatest in Oregon recruiting. Got some interviews that I'm working on there. But that'll do it for us on this episode of the Ducks Dish Podcast. Big thanks to Spencer. We'll be back tomorrow for our uh, Setting the Stage with Arizona. And uh, we will catch you guys in the next episode of the Ducks Dish Podcast. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.